You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast. We thank you for listening to this podcast and not its rival edition, the DuckTales podcast, which only has 1.5 stars on Spotify. Here's your host of the Beaver Tales podcast, Josh Wharton. No, there aren't any one and a half star ratings on this podcast compared to another one that doesn't actually exist called DuckTales. But if this is your first time listening to Beaver Tales, this podcast follows former Oregon State athletes, sees what they're doing now with their lives and their memories from Oregon State. And we've got a name. If you follow Oregon State women's basketball at all, you'll recognize the name Jamie Wisner. And maybe even you recognize her by her married name, Jamie Scott, after she married former Oregon State football player Larry Scott three years ago. Really fun conversation I had with Jamie. Uh, We'll get to that in just a moment. Jamie Wisner was an All-American her senior year in 2016 as Oregon State set a program record with 32 wins and reached the Final Four Weisner helped lead the way, averaging 17 points per contest. She swept the conference awards, winning Pac-12 Player of the Year and then the Conference Tournament Most Outstanding Player Award. The same year, Oregon State won the Pac-12 Tournament for the first time in program history. She finished her career as the best three-point shooter in school history, holding the record at 41.3%. She also finished her career sixth in program history in scoring, eighth in rebounding, She's also a gold medalist with the Canadian women's national team, winning the 2017 FIBA Women's America Cup. I even called her Jamie Wisner when introducing her. You'll hear that in just a moment. But her name is Jamie Scott, and we do talk about how she met Larry and what marriage has been like the last three years, living largely apart from each other as he's tried to make it in the NFL and then has kind of moved on since then. We talk about that as well as her career in Russia. She's playing on the same team as former Oregon State teammate Ruth Hamblin. We also talk at the end of the conversation about Sydney Weiss, who had just recently tested negative for the coronavirus after uh, testing positive, and then she essentially recovered, and uh, she's no longer uh, diagnosed with the coronavirus. We talk about that at the very end of the conversation. As I always do with each guest that comes on the podcast, I ask if there are any businesses they'd like to support by mentioning on the podcast. And Jamie said one of her local favorites when she was in Corvallis was Eats and Treats Cafe. It's actually out in Philomath. It is open for takeout. You can uh, find them online. Just Google Eats and Treats Cafe Philomath, and you know, you'll be able to call them and order and get some delicious food. I've had some there as well. And they do great work. Also, like to mention Convoy of Hope. Try to use this podcast to give some charities some exposure that are doing good work in this time. Convoy of Hope helps people all around the country and internationally. And they're in the midst of the 10 million meals across the U.S. campaign in response to COVID-19. So you can donate online and help them support people in need during this crazy time. And speaking of crazy times, how about talking with someone from Siberia? Jamie is still stuck in Russia, unable to get out and come back to America. And so I talked with her. Uh, She's 14 hours ahead of where I am in uh, the uh, Pacific time zone. And so really fun conversation here with Jamie Scott, a.k.a. Jamie Wisner, here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Joined by Jamie Wisner, live from Russia, our first international guest here on the podcast. Welcome to the Beaver Tales podcast. Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. You're in Russia at the moment. It's where you expected to be around this time. The season kind of ended about a month ago. There were going to be some practices going on, and then a whole lot of stuff has happened. So take me through the timeline of just the last month and describe 
how stuck are you? Because Ruth Hamlin is on the same team. She, she got out of there and you stayed. What led to you staying in Russia for the last month? Yeah, so our season ended about a month ago. Had a last game. We were already in playoffs. And so um, kind of knew the season was about to end because of all this coronavirus stuff happening. And once it ended, our, our team still decided to have practices. And so we had to stay in the Nova Spears region to get our full salary. Two weeks later, the, the whole nation of uh, Russia had like a, a lockdown quarantine, nobody, nobody working. And so obviously no practice. And they still said we had to be here like in the region to get paid. So I, I decided to stay because, you know, it's, it's not that bad here where I'm at. I'm about four hour flight from Moscow where uh, supposedly there are some cases there. And, um, but here they haven't, really had any cases so I was just like let me just stay get my money I have a free apartment so as things started going on they're like okay you can go home now like we'll still get your money but there ain't, ain't no no flights home right now so just kind of taking it day to day and hopefully by the end of the month um, the travel clears up or at least there's one flight or something back to the states so we'll see so you're pretty stranded in Russia. Luckily, you do have your husband there, fellow Oregon State student athlete, and Larry Scott. So at least you've got him. You don't have Ruth yeah. Amblin. She she left. She was talking about how they, initially they were even going to essentially dock her pay because she tried to leave despite a pandemic going on. And at first, that wasn't enough for them to say, okay, it's okay, you can leave. Did that get sorted out? Were they really going to be harsh and say, hey, even if you leave during a pandemic, that's not a good enough reason? Or what happened there with the contract stuff? Yeah, I think, um, so if you leave before your contract's over, you, you breach your contract. And I think she she left before fully getting everything talk through um but i think after once she got back everything worked out and she talked to the gm and president and it all got sorted through but i think they were going just you know based off of like the contract thing and of course every everything they, they want to get their money right so uh yeah. i don't know i think it i think it ended up working out though for her for the better so yeah. uh yeah she's safe back in canada and happy yeah. for her yeah, that should be a good enough reason for her to get out of that contract. So I'm glad to hear that. Now you played with Ruth in Russia. What What's it been like for your professional career to continue? You've gone from Austria to Spain and now to Russia. How has it been playing overseas and how do you like playing for the, the professional team there in Russia? Um, Russia has definitely been the best league so far. There's a lot of WNBA players the Russian players are really good. And so the competition of this league is definitely the best um, between Austria and, and Spain. I know Spain has picked up in the last couple of years, but as far as from when I was there until now, um, it's, it's definitely better here in Russia. But I, I like the whole overseas experience. It's definitely not as glamorous as uh, what people make it seem, you know, playing professional sports. It, it's nothing like, the WNBA, NBA, you know, you have to tape your own ankles before games and you don't know what the treatments, the doctors are like over here. So if you're injured, sometimes you're just kind of on your own to figure it out. And the travel is, at least in Russia, is horrendous. Um, 
we have a like for every away game it's a four-hour flight four-hour time difference and you're doing that every weekend and so as far as sleep schedule it's it's always messed up and you're just tired um two practices a day which i i don't mind it makes the time go faster but it for the most part it's, it's great i mean get paid to play basketball i'm not complaining about that but there are a lot of things that are definitely hard and just being away from family is like one of the biggest ones and you know you're you're away from september till may and that's you know a good chunk of the year that i don't get to see like my nephews and nieces growing up and so that part's pretty hard but um i always tell myself this is just like a short window of my life and like i'm blessed to be in this situation and um you know get to do what i love yeah you've got a very athletic family, one of seven kids, parents who are athletic. So I'm sure it's hard to be separated. And I, I believe you, I've heard stories of, you know, athletes who like the playing, but then they get home and what are you going to do with the rest of your 12 hours after practice when you're isolated yeah, and you don't yeah. know that many people? Do you tend to choose, you've got a bit of leeway in which country you play for and there's a lot of leagues all over Europe and probably even beyond. Russia could be a cool experience, but I think a lot of people would say Spain, Austria, there's so much more to do Mm -hmm. there. But do you choose more based on the league and the competition and prioritize that over the non-basketball, the sightseeing, all those elements? Yeah, like especially at the beginning of my career, I would still say I'm at the beginning um, that I I wanted to be in a better league. I want to make my way up to Euro Cup, Euro League. And that's like the the top standards of teams. And so um, just every year I'm trying to get, you know, better competition and um, obviously better pay and just move up every year. And um, so that's what I look for. But also within that, there is leeway depending on, you know, like which team, like I could pick the team in Russia, maybe if I have two different offers, one in Moscow, one in Nova Sibirsk. I mean, that's, Nova Sibirsk, that's where I'm at right now. I'm in the middle of Siberia. It gets like negative 40 here in the summer or in the winter, uh, excuse me. But in Moscow, it, it's not nearly as cold. It's a bigger city. You don't have to travel for four hours every every game. So within that, there is there is leeway. It just depends on where you get offers and um, exactly what you want to do. And you know, I, I tell that to my agent and then he tries to uh, find the best, what's best for me. So um, as far as me, I, I try to move up, best competition, best team each year. I remember listening to a ESPN 30 for 30 podcast about a Russian league and an owner. I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of series of podcasts. And it was about Mm-hmm. a couple famous WNBA players. I think Sue Bird was one of them. It's been a while since I've listened to and, it. Yeah, Diana, Diana Taurasi. And, yeah, and Diana. Yeah. Now, it, that that one podcast series made the owner sound pretty crazy. I mean, he was all in paying players and doing some shady mm-hmm. stuff to create a winner. Have you seen, maybe not as dramatic as that, but stories of whether in Russia or elsewhere, some some things going on that are, whoa, this happens in professional basketball. Have you seen anything along those lines? Uh, nothing as crazy as that. I did listen to that podcast, um, and I had heard that story from some Russians um, last year before this podcast came out about, like, the same guy. And we played that team, that organization, and 
um, their pictures are up on the wall, Sue Bird. And um, so I have not heard anything as crazy as that, but they do say kind of like this league is run by the mafia. Have I seen it personally? No, but they say like the refs are paid off and which I, I could say like that might be possible. Uh, not not for our team. Our team does get, doesn't get any calls. <laughs> of course, probably everybody says this, but yeah, I have not heard anything that crazy, but stuff does like go down where, you know, you might get not get paid for three months and they're like, oh, sorry, we, we just don't have the money right now, but please, please keep paying. Like we're going to get the money. And you're just like, well, how, how, how do I know like that you're actually going to get the money? Like I, I know this year we didn't get paid from November till the end of January and they're like, it's coming, it's coming. Or I don't know, when I was in Spain, they were like, we can't pay you. Like our sponsors like are on vacation and they went on vacation for Christmas and aren't coming back for another month. So we won't have the money. And so you're just kind of like, okay. For me, I'm like, I, I like playing, I enjoy it. But if I was doing it for the money, I might like reconsider like in my contract, it says like, if I don't get paid out, obviously don't have to play. So just stuff like that. I think it, it happens worse in other countries. Then, and then it just depends on the teams as well. But I think that happens more often than people think in uh, at least overseas women's basketball. It would be dramatic if the mafia was running it, for, but for your safety's sake, I hope it's, it's all clean cut and, and normal and you can play normal professional basketball. What are your goals? You, you had a brief stint in the WNBA. You did get drafted, played a little bit uh, kind of with the Sun and then the Washington Mystics. It's tough to get a spot in the WNBA. There aren't mm -hmm. that many teams and the, the players who already have roster spots tend to stick around and they want to stay and play in the WNBA. So it's not easy. What are your goals in terms of the league you want to play for? You said this is hopefully the beginning of your professional career. You're just getting started. Is, is the WNBA out of the question, more national team stuff, moving around, visiting different countries? What are kind of your goals for the rest of your professional career? Yeah, I definitely w would love to make it back to the WNBA. Um, but that I think that's just going to happen. If it happens, it happens. I'm not like too strung out like I used to be. I used to be like, oh, this is all I want. Da, da, da. But um, with so many opportunities overseas and um, just, you know, there's a lot of good basketball overseas. I think I just want to continue to just play better each year, continue to grow, get better, and then see where that lands me. And so as far as overseas, my goals are to get to um, a Euro League team, and so that uh, depend like a Euro League, Euro League and Euro Cup is kind of like um, it's exactly like like the soccer uh, FIBA and stuff. So there's a lot of teams like within Russia that are Euro Cup or Euro League. They play in the Russian league, and then they go and play other teams across uh, like the best teams across Europe. Um, and so you can find basically any team in any in any country so in Spain there's a couple in France there's a lot and so you play in that team's like countries league and then you play go and play in like Euro Cup or Euro League and that's where I want to get because you play a lot more games and then you get to travel a lot more and you play against like the best competition so that's my goals for overseas and then 
of course, national team, um, get to the Olympics. Uh, we qualified the Canadian national team. We qualified in February, obviously, for the 2020 Olympics. And those are postponed till um, 2021. And so that's my goal to be on that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just taking it year to year, see how my body feels, um, definitely after the Olympics, and, and just see, you know, how I feel and, and what direction I want to go in my life I guess. What, what does the Olympics look like? What's the opportunity look like for a, a roster spot with Team Canada? Have they finalized their roster? Is all that up in the air because the Olympics got pushed back or mm -hmm. what are your hopes for the Olympics in 2021? Yeah it's, it's definitely all pushed back and as far as like even for 2020 there was a pool of 16 athletes and they can only take 12 and so I was in that uh, top 16 and I was in like that I actually was like on the team for like the qualifying back in February and so I think like the possibilities are high um, just gotta continue to work and um, when the when the time comes to actually be in like the tryout is just be, I mean to be the best I can and, and show my skills and show that I can't be um, very good for that team and so that's a huge goal of mine and like I'm right there it's right there it's it's tangible so just keep working it towards that goal. You've already won a, a gold medal with uh, Team Canada and a different uh, competition I think it was the FIBA Women's America Cup so you've already had some good experience with the national team. On another note I think when I when I first introduced her, I think I said Jamie Wisner now joins us, and I'm realizing that's not really your name anymore. It's Jamie Scott now. You've got Larry there with you. You've been married for three years already. Yeah. Uh, he was a defensive back on the football team. What's that been like for your both your professional careers? I know he was. I'm not sure if he's has any hope of playing anymore, but he's trying the NFL a little bit. And it seems like he's kind of moved on, but what's that been like for you to move around overseas? How much have you actually been living in the same country at the same time? And how have the last three years of marriage gone? Yeah, um, I'm not gonna lie. It's been very challenging, especially like with both of our professions, but um, it's been very like rewarding at the same time. You know, we've got to travel the world together in, um, some instances he came to Spain with me he's been here in Russia for about three months now so I think this is honestly like the longest time we've got to be together is like a chunk of time it's usually like one month here a couple weeks here won't see you for a couple months and um, so that's been very challenging and then just kind of like trying to plan our life like after this or what's going to happen next like we're just kind of living on faith and just, you know, taking it one step at a time. But he is very uh, supportive of my goals and as I am of his. And so when we decided to get married, we were, knew this was like our life and that it would be hard, but uh, we we're going to support each other through it and, you know, just figure it out. And there's a lot of things we don't have figured out, but we, you know, we know we got each other. So it's been it's been challenging but good at the same time there's a few different couples i'll say that i i'm looking forward to hopefully having in this podcast who are pairs of student athletes who got married they were at oregon state including i was talking earlier today with megan Jimenez, who was a, a gymnast mm -hmm. at oregon state now she's megan harlow after marrying a football player sean harlow so there's another pair of oregon state student athletes and i'm curious for for yourself and larry for example 
how how did Oregon State fit into your story? How did you start dating? As you look back and what it meant to be an Oregon State student athlete with your future husband. How did that all start with you and Larry? Yeah, I met um, Larry, I think at the end of my freshman year. He's a year older than me, but graduated the same year as he registered for football. And I met him and then I think we started dating like at the end of my sophomore year and, um, you know, dated obviously since then. And then I think he asked me to marry him. It was actually like he asked my parents the night of the WNBA draft, the, the night I got drafted. And so that all happened like very quickly. And then I went overseas and then I, I got back from overseas from Austria um, a week before we were getting married and got married. And so it happened all really quick. But yeah, our journey started in Corvallis. I mean, that was a big chunk of um, like our relationship to this point, I think like three, four years. And so um, we definitely have those good memories as being um, Oregon State athletes together. And actually before I met him, like I was number 15 and he was on the football team and in number 15. And so like we kind of laugh and say, that it was like fate. And so uh, we have like a lot of good memories from Oregon State and a lot of mutual friends and um, people that support us from there. And so, yeah, it's a big, big chunk of our journey. Did he propose before you went to Austria and you were engaged that whole time while being separate and came back a week before? Or did he, when did he propose in that whole timeline? He proposed, um, so April, I think it was 2016, right after um, my college career in like on the WNBA draft. And then I went to the WNBA that summer and then went overseas um, in, to Austria and I came back. And so we were engaged that whole, um, that whole year, basically. And then I got, we got married in uh, April 2017. Okay, so you're about to come up on your uh, three-year anniversary. Did you just hit it? Just hit it, yeah. Okay, well, congratulations yeah. on three years. Thank you. Uh, it must have been crazy that he proposes, then you go overseas, you're doing all the wedding planning while you're in Austria and all that. It must have been crazy. Was there a, a ton of Oregon State student-athletes? I'm guessing there are at least some football guys and some women's basketball players. Was it sort of a who's who of Beaver student-athletes at your wedding, or did you keep it kind of small? Um, it was... I would say there was probably about like 150 players or not players, people. So it wasn't huge, but there was definitely like some football players. And then of course my whole team was there. So, but it wasn't crazy. There was a lot of family. He's from California. So they came up and then I'm, the wedding was in Washington. And so um, a lot of Washington people. So it wasn't like crazy Oregon state, but there was definitely like a, a good, um, good chunk of Oregon State players there. Did you have any teammates who were bridesmaids of yours or groomsmen of his that were football players? I did not because at that point I, I was fresh, fresh out of Oregon State and I was like, I'm not about to decide who, <laughs> I can't have the whole team. I'm not having like all 12 people. So I just had my sisters and then some um, high school friends. I had five bridesmaids and so but he, he did. He had uh, Stormwoods, um, Levante, Barnett, and um, Ty Zimmerman, and then his brothers. So 
yeah, he was he was more represented up there than I was. I understand that you pick one teammate and then you got to pick them all, and it's it can be yeah. tough. Football, there's you know what eighty guys in the team, so everybody knows not everybody's going to be at the wedding. So that, that makes sense. I, I get that. Yeah. Let me ask a couple of questions just about your memories at Oregon State. Going back to your freshman year, 2012, 2013, you made the, the Pac-12 all-freshman team. You started 24 games that year. Had a pretty good season. You were averaging 12.6 rebounds, but the team was only 10 and 21. I mean, it had not hit the real talented, consistent Oregon State program that we know now. The next three years, your, your final three in Corvallis, 24 wins, 27 wins, 32 wins, and a final four berth. After your freshman year, where you had more than twice as many losses as you, as you did wins, did you already know what was to come? Did you see NCAA tournament winning records final four in the horizon, or would that have been a surprise had you thought about it? No, not a surprise at all. Um, I knew we were going to make it to the final four, like even before my freshman year. So of course we hadn't had that 10 win season yet, but like, I just knew in my heart, like we will make it to the final four. I said it out loud. Like I knew we were going to be Stanford at some point. Like that was like when I committed to Oregon state to Scott Ruick, I told him like, we're going to be Stanford. And like at that time, like Stanford never lost. They were the powerhouse of the PAC 12. And so um these are my goals either like I said these things out loud and so after um my freshman year yeah that was a tough year but for me like I didn't know any any better like that was good good for me like I was like okay this is this is how it's going to be we have um a whole new recruiting class coming in um a lot of seniors like going out so it was going to be a whole whole new team and um, we're all going to be young. We're all kind of starting from like this, the clean slate. And so um, I was very excited after my freshman year to just like continue to work, continue to get better and like kind of be a leader on the team now. Even though I was only a sophomore, we had, I think, five new freshmen coming coming in. So, yeah, I, I knew like that we we're going to do great things at Oregon State. I just felt it in my heart and um each year we continue to get better and better and better and honestly those were like some of the like best years of my life so far and it was, it was like so much fun you really helped fuel oregon state getting to the peak and a program that's stayed consistently good the last few years do the players in russia and i know not all of your teammates are russian but the players who are from russia does Final Four register with them? Do they realize how big of an accomplishment you have? Or do you kind of feel alone of, hey, guys, I made the Final Four and nobody realizes how big of a deal that is? Yeah, no, they, they could care less. <laughs> or they don't even know. Half the girl, well, over half the girls on my team, most of them don't even speak English. Like, they don't even really know about, they know about NCAA, but, like, it's just, like, so far-fetched to them. Um, but like when I was in Spain, there were more, uh, they followed the NCAA more and um, there's some Spanish girls that play over in the States. And so they follow it a lot more um, and they understand like, oh yeah, final four, like that's big. But at the end of the day, when they're on the team with you, it's like, oh, you're, you're kind of equal to me or yeah, you're American. You should be better. But like at the, like, we aren't going to treat you differently just because you made it to the final four. Like that, that's old news, you know, you're here now. Like, 
Yeah. Or, you know, so. With the language barrier and the cultural barrier, do you make many friends among your teammates? And if you do, what's like a, a fun thing? What, what's recreation for Russians if you do hang out with them or maybe you see what they do for fun? What's, what's a recreational activity for, for Russians around there? Um, yeah, I haven't made too many like, no, Russian friends at all. Um, <laughs> but you become so close with like the other Americans or other people like that speak English on your team or even like my translator, like, I become really close friends with her just because that you only have like three people you can talk to for the whole year. And so you end up just, um, you know, like kind of not spilling your emotions to them or, you know, you just speak like you, you, you can't like pick and choose who you speak to. So you just become really close with those people. Um, as far as the ones that don't speak English, like you, you can try like smile, like say some words and learn some words, but it's really hard to, actually have like a deep connection with them and but when we do hang out all as a team it's like we just go to somebody's house and they love hookah here like everybody has their own hookah thing and they make hookah and we drink beer and smoke hookah I guess and that's like the fun activity here in Russia and I don't know what else they really do honestly it's so snowy and cold in the winter like yes everything it's just inside, so. You got to find something to connect over and, and relate <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. All right, I got kind of a fun Oregon State question. I'm going to describe an Oregon State student athlete, and you try to tell me who I'm describing, okay? Okay. So this, is, this is an Oregon Sounds State. challenging. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> this is an Oregon State women's basketball player who was mm -hmm. an All-American at OSU, finished in the top 10 in scoring, and despite being only five foot ten, also finished. Michaela Pivik. <laughs> well, wait, well, wait. Now I'm only halfway done here. <laughs> and in the five okay. top ten in rebounds, originally hails from Washington, high school state champion in basketball, but also an individual state champion in javelin. Who is it? And I'm going to accept two answers on this one. Well, it's either Michaela Pivik or me. There you go. All those things, if, correct me if I'm wrong, are true of the both of you. What is, I mean, is there, I don't know what the connection is or what it is about javelin throwers that do well at Oregon State and women's basketball, but how, how does that happen? You're both tremendous javelin throwers and state champions in javelin. Yeah, I have no clue. I think that might might be a crazy coincidence there. Does it help at all? I, I see her like take the little orange basketball in the pregame warmups where they hand it out to the players and they're being announced and all the fanfare and the players can throw the little basketball into the stands and she chucks it up like high to the far wall. She's even hit the wall in Gill Coliseum mm -hmm. up where the murals are. I don't know if you had any, if they did that when, when you were playing, but does that help at all? The arm strength, the athleticism at all, or is it just, just a funny little side gig? Um, I did it for fun. I know my, I saw my brother do it, play or throw the javelin. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. You know, I, I always grew up throwing the football with my brothers and the baseball. And um, I remember the first time I got out there, like I tried to throw it like a baseball. And, you know, the javelin's long. I turned my hand and cracked the back of my head with like the javelin. And that was my first ever like attempt at my freshman year of high school. And I got like just got better learned actually learned the technique um but I don't know I think just having arm strength I don't know how it relates to basketball anyway 
but I think it's just crazy coincidence that we're both good at throwing the javelin. Well, you can only go up from there if you hit yourself in the back of the yes. first time and you end up a state champion. So clearly you, you put some time on the practice field in that one. A couple last questions for you. After OSU, you got drafted by the Connecticut Sun. You played for the Washington Mystics. You played for Canada in the World Cup in 2018. You won a gold medal in the America Cup. Um, playing for the national team has brought you to Spain, China. You've played games in Taiwan, Lithuania. You've played for teams in Spain, Austria, Russia. There's probably a couple other countries I haven't even seen that you've been to or played games in. Do you lose track of all the countries you've been to? And is that something that excites you to travel to dozens of different countries, something that you're passionate about? I've definitely lost track. Um, I always tell myself I'm going to start writing down a list of where I've been. But yeah, it's been crazy, like the last four years, just traveling. Um, it does excite me, but also like it's very tiring just getting, just hopping on like another 12 hour flight. That does not excite me at all. I don't love flying, but I've just learned to accept it. And um, I don't know, I, I do enjoy traveling and I, tr I try to get out as much as possible. It's hard with basketball because you know, you have to rest, you, you go to practice, you come back, you have meetings. So it's hard to actually like really go and sightsee. Um, but I, I try to do as much as possible in between everything and take a lot of pictures and just, you know, maybe sit at a cafe and um, just learn how people interact and try to like take a little uh, piece from each country and learn a little bit. And I definitely think traveling so much has really it's humbled me and um, just woken me up to like how different people are living and, you know, just give me a whole different perspective on the world. And so that I'm very grateful for. And yeah, it's, it's been crazy, but also very rewarding too. I know what you mean. I, I spent seven months in the Philippines after graduating from Oregon state and just the seeing firsthand stories and making friends of people of a different culture and just to see life is just as complex and serious over in this part of the world than back in America, even though we didn't mm -hmm. think that wasn't the case necessarily, but to see it firsthand is a whole different experience. So with all that you've seen and done in just your few short years, about four years since you left Oregon State, from all the places you played in, the people that you've met, the friends that you've gotten closer with, what are kind of the main lessons that you've learned as a person and how are you different? How is Jamie Weisner Scott different than you were now in, in 2020 than when you stepped onto campus at Oregon State? Gosh, well, about, about eight years ago now. Oh, whew. that's that's a deep question. But from when I stepped on campus at Oregon State, it's definitely just like, I don't know it all. Like I don't, there, there isn't one way to living life. Like, um, and what I've learned definitely over the past like years, I used to think like, I'll just work out, be work hard, go hard, do everything hard, like kind of makes me a better person. And I'm like, no, like somebody could not work out and just like whatever and, and challenge himself in a different way and still be a great person. So at the end of the day, it's, it's just about being a good person. It doesn't matter what you do, how you do it, um, it's just the way you, how you interact with people and um, how you make them feel is what really matters in life and um, just being a good person and it, uh, all, all the stuff in between is just fluff. Like, yeah, that might 
um, get you your money. Like you have to do that to survive. But at the end of the day, it's just um, treating people with respect and loving people and, and meeting people where they're at, you know, and traveling has taught me that is like people live in like crazy different ways. And at the end of the day, they're still a person and, and you must like treat them in a certain way and meet them where they're at, meet them in their beliefs. And yeah, so that's the biggest thing I've learned. I like that. That's, those are good lessons. And I'm sure you'll have a few more along the way. And I hope you have a playing career the last 10, 15 more years and go to a lot more countries. Last, last mm -hmm. question for you, a little more on the fun note. You and Larry both were student athletes, D1, Power 5 school. So you've got to be pretty competitive people. Do you tend to make competitions? Do you play some one-on-one? -on -one? Do you play horse? Do you throw little you know, pieces of recycled paper into the trash can and keep track? Like, are you competitive with each other or do you realize that we need to keep that separate? Uh, yeah, we're very competitive, but we've learned like, yeah, no, no, no more one-on-one. -on -one. Can't play one-on-one. -on -one. It always ends bad. Uh, even just like, I like playing fun, like dominoes or card games and he can't, he can't, because if I, if he loses, like, it's, he'll be angry the rest of the night, and I'm like, it's not even worth it, so we usually try to, like, play games that we can, like, teach each other, oh, like, do this, like, I'm good at this, you should do it this way, but we're never, like, actually competing against each other, because, yeah, too competitive. That's a good sign, That's, that shows maturity. Uh, I, I yes. totally spaced, there was one question I meant to ask at the beginning, uh, but I totally spaced on it. Three weeks ago, one of your closest teammates in Sydney Weiss, a player you will always be connected with whenever any Oregon State fan thinks of Sydney Weiss, I think they should think of Jamie Scott. And anytime people think of Jamie Scott, they should think of Sydney Weiss. You will always mm -hmm. be connected for very good reasons. She was the first WNBA player to test positive for the coronavirus. She then tested negative two days ago. Uh, that's April 14th. She already plans to donate blood plasma for research purposes if testing allows that. So that just shows kind of the person she is. So we can speak about it with happiness that we know she's, she's already mm -hmm. tested negative, which is a great sign. But that had to hit pretty close to home when you first saw her positive test. That must have been quite the experience to hear that from one of your, I'm guessing, closest friends. Yeah, I had been in contact with her um a lot throughout this season and then even more like just like right when she was leaving Spain and so I had been talking to her I mean group messages with her and she had been trying to get a test for a long time like oh I don't really feel great um but like also I I don't feel like deathly so I I knew it was um she wasn't feeling good, but I knew when I heard the news that she wasn't like in any critical conditions and that she was taking it very seriously, obviously not going out, you know, being around people. So she wasn't spreading it. And so I had known that she was okay. And that gave me a lot of peace. Um, when I heard it, like from the media, like I already, I knew she was okay and that she would be okay. And she's taking um, the, the right precautions with that. And so but it's just, it, it was crazy to actually know somebody firsthand because before that I was just like hearing, obviously hearing all the news and um, how this is spreading. But I'm like, I don't actually know anybody. And then to actually know somebody it was like, okay, it's a lot more realer than what I had even thought it was. Yeah, that is good news. And you've got a good thing going in Russia. I, I hope the best for you for the rest of your playing career there and whatever countries you go to in your life afterwards. 
Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and best wishes to you and your future, Jamie. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really engaging and fun to talk with Jamie Scott about how traveling the world playing pro basketball has impacted her as a person as well as her memories from Oregon State and really fascinating her answer about how she has changed and developed as a person since leaving Oregon State, how she made a distinction between what it means to work hard at becoming a better person and what it means to work hard as an athlete. And to a certain degree, those things could be related. You learn life lessons from athletics and the harder you work there, that could translate to work ethic elsewhere. But as she pointed out, it's possible that you're not an athlete and yet you work really hard in your relationships and how you treat other people. So just because she may be a professional basketball player doesn't mean that everything else in her life is going to automatically fall into place because she's such a good basketball player. But she's realizing every part of life needs its own attention to detail. And being a good, responsible person with respect for people of other countries and backgrounds, it takes work in and of itself, but it's a, a work worth doing. Really want to thank Jamie Scott for coming on this podcast, being our latest guest. And we've got another fun episode coming just a couple days away here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Until next time, I'm Josh Warden. Go Beefs.